You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. All right. So the book of Ruth, um, our scripture this morning, frankly, was almost the whole first chapter. That was almost a quarter of the book. So that was great to have that done. Um, But I'll give you kind of an overview. So where we start is in the scripture this morning. There is a man and a wife who they're traveling from Bethlehem and they're having to leave because of a famine. They don't have food, so they leave. And this is Naomi and Elimelech. They leave, and, and they establish themselves in a new land. It's a non-Israelite land. They're foreigners in this land. And while they're there, they have two children. They have two sons. And those two sons end up marrying, and they have two wives. So it's this full family now in this other land. And the people that their sons marry, because they are not in an Israelite land, are non-Israelites as well. They're Moabites. After some time, um, Naomi's husband dies. After a little bit more time, Naomi's sons die. And so, upon hearing that there's food present, there's some sort of resources that can help her back in her homeland, she decides to make the journey back. And initially, both of her daughter-in-laws go with her. But at some point in time in this journey, she pleads with them to go back to their family. And she does this in revealing this emptiness that she feels in herself. She's like, I can give you nothing. I have nothing for you. I can't give you a son. My womb is barren. It's empty. Go back to your families because I am empty. One decides to do that. And one decides to stay with her. This is Ruth. So the rest of the story now follows Ruth and Naomi as they travel back into the city in Israel, back into this Israelite land, and they're trying to live and and survive and figure out what does life now look like in this land. So that's all of chapter one. Chapter two now picks up with Naomi and Ruth. They're in the land, and they're realizing, like, I think there's a moment of, What do we do? What do we do now? We see Naomi kind of fall to the background here, and we see Ruth, who's the Moabite, who's the foreigner in this land, come come to the front. And she says, I'm gonna go glean in the fields. I need to go get us food, she says. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get us food. So she goes out and she ends up in a field that's owned by a man named Boaz. And as she's in the field, She's finding food, gleaning from from the scraps and the things that are left behind and left over. Boaz notices her, 
And he recognizes that she is the one who came back with Naomi. And so he takes favor on her, he protects her, treats her well, and makes sure that she has an abundant amount of food to take with her back home. So she returns home after that first day, gives Naomi this bushel of food, these provisions, and Naomi says, oh yes, that's Boaz. It's one of uh, Elimelech, her late husband's closest relatives. It's one of, our, one of our family members, our kinsmen. She says, stay in that field and stay there. So that's chapter two. Chapter three um, opens, and what we see is now there's, in chapter three, it's the close of the harvest. Chapter two is this harvest time. There's places for her to go and get food. Ruth can go and get food. Harvest ends. Now there's chapter three. What are they to do? What do they do now for food? What do they do for provisions? And so this is where now, as Ruth stepped forward, now we see Naomi step back in the front in chapter three. And Naomi says, I have a plan. This is what we're going to do. And she tells Ruth to... um, Consecrate herself, anoint herself, get herself ready, and then go to Boaz, the man who owned the field. And it's kind of, there's, we can go down a bunch of rabbit trails about, like, what it exactly is, the ceremony that is happening. But she's like, go, lay at his feet, he's sleeping, lay at his feet, like, lay your hair on him, and then ask him to be your redeemer. Essentially, what, what we need to know in this is, is, that Ruth is going to Boaz and is asking for care. It says, take us under your wing. Care for us. And so that's what happens in chapter 3. Ruth does this. She goes to Boaz. She lays at his feet as he is sleeping. He startles awake. She asks him, and he says, yes, I will. Chapter 4 comes around, and it is the uh, fruition of that. The plan that is, starts in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is put into action Boaz marries Ruth, buys Naomi and her family's land, essentially redeems them, pulls them back into this community with them. And then Ruth and Boaz end up having a son, and it ends in this, like, beautiful, uh, happily ever after. Like, that is the story of Ruth, okay? That's the big overview. Now, I think a lot of times how I've always really heard this um, taught is we focus so much on Ruth. It's literally the book's called Ruth. There's no reason not to. But um, when we do that, we get this really cool story about a foreigner who, from her her perspective, is outside of this community. Her husband dies. She has nothing. And she decides to commit herself to Naomi and to this god that that is not her God. She commits herself to Naomi and to God and moves across. And so it's the story about like her putting herself um, in a community through faithfulness to God and her getting provided for and redeemed. It's a story about an inclusion of a foreigner into a community. And that's a great reading. And that's why I love like narrative stories like this because when you look at it, there's so many places that we're invited to seek good truth from. What I want this morning is is instead of looking at it like that, or maybe in conjunction with looking at it like that, we don't necessarily look at it from Ruth's point of view. Instead, let's take a moment this morning and look at Naomi's story in this. Let's look at Naomi's story. When we look at the opening of the entire book, it is all from Naomi's perspective. All of the, the scripture that Todd read was like, it's a story about Naomi. 
Naomi moves. Naomi's husband dies. Naomi's sons die. Naomi travels back to her homeland. So this morning, especially in, uh, in light of us reading Old Testament in a way that is curious and that is different and looking at different perspectives, this morning we're going to do that same thing and we're going to read the book of Ruth and we're going to look at it from the view of the Israelite woman who left and was empty and moved back to her homeland with a foreigner and ended somehow full, and ended somehow full. So that's, what, that's kind of the, the arc that we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at how there was, it was empty, there was nothing, and somehow it ended full. And what happened there in the middle? So in order to do this, I wanna take like a brief moment and like establish the audience that Ruth was written to. Um, the book of Ruth itself is set in the time of the judges. This is a time right after the book of Joshua. So Israel as a nation has been established. They've split up, the, they've conquested, conquered the land. Uh, they split up the land. And now there's like uh, society and government is starting to be established. And that's what the book of Judges tells us. So that's the time that the story takes place in. However, the book is written and the audience reading it, its original audience, is not during that time. That's why it starts as like a long time ago in the time of Judges. The audience itself is set in this world, it's the post-exilic world, the second temple world. So when we say that, what we mean is uh, it's a period that um, is marking the exile, after the exile happens, the movement, the migration of Jews back to Israel. So we see Israel as a country, in Joshua they get the land, judges they split up the land, then we have Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and all of these stories about the, the, the country and the land existing. And then, at a certain point, another nation comes in and, and takes over the land. Israel is desecrated. The temple is, is torn down. In that moment, the Jews who live there are spread out. Some are able to stay. A lot are pushed out of their land. And so now, there's this exile. They're not in their land. Another country comes in, this Persian, Persian empire comes in, and they allow them to come back to their land. That's where we pick up. That's where this is written. It's post-exile, it's after the exile, it's the second temple period, because this temple is rebuilt that was torn down, second temple. But what's happening here during this time is it's, it's this group of people who have gone through hundreds of years of exile, of, of spreading out of the community, and in doing that, they are living like Naomi was in a place that is not Israel amongst people who are not Israelites. They are marrying people who aren't Israelites. They're having children, and these children are not full Israelites, right? There's this mixing of community that is, has to happen because of this exile. But now as they return back to their homeland, they're trying to figure out, what do we do here? We're now back in Israel and they are wanting to um, like reflect a Jewish community and have this community of God's people, but also they know there's this real reality that there's mixed marriage, that there's people who are not Jewish that are in this land. And they're just trying to figure out, like, what do we do? That's this pressing question on the mind of the post-exilic readers. And that is the question on the mind of uh, the people who are receiving Ruth from the very beginning. Okay. So we can see already this relation to Naomi that's happening, right? The people, the Jews who were in the, uh, in the Second Temple period, like, they see Naomi and they're like, yeah, us too. We also moved away. 
We also lived amongst foreigners. We've also moved back, and we too were empty and are trying to figure out how to create a community that's full. So, let's look at chapter one. We're gonna move through the whole thing, now that we kind of know the question that's like being asked, and we're gonna look at the transformation from empty to full, and we're gonna look at the foreigner's participation in that transformation. Okay. So the opening chapter presents Naomi's perspective and depicts a woman who experiences like threefold loss. We see Naomi experiencing loss, right? The story begins with Naomi fleeing from starvation, then her husband dying, then her two sons dying. Let's look at how these events reflect an environment that is representative of like total emptiness for this Israelite. First, Naomi's experiencing real physical loss here. Um, there's a famine in Bethlehem, that's why she left. So Naomi and Elimelech flee. They once had the ability to provide physically for themselves in Bethlehem, but the risk of famine threatens that ability, and so they migrate to Moab. That's why they left. However, it quickly becomes evident that Naomi does not permanently outrun the starvation. After the death of her husband and her sons, she becomes vulnerable as her physical safety and her current means of survival are stripped from her over the years. And eventually, we see that Naomi has to concede to the threat of starvation, and she returns to Bethlehem after hearing the news that God has blessed them with food. This tells us that the physical conditions, the resources, the food supply that she was experiencing in Moab after, and maybe because of even, the death of her husband and sons, that was so dire that it justified this dangerous relocation back to Bethlehem. She heard their food and said, well, I will move. I will take on this risk for the food. That tells us she was experiencing real physical emptiness there. In addition to physical loss, Naomi is shown to be consumed with familial loss, the loss of her family. The Judean is pictured as a mother of death and a barren widow. Naomi's identity shifted in the first verses of the narrative from wife, that's how she was introduced, she's the wife of Elimelech, and after a couple verses, she's immediately transitioned to widow. Her identity shifts immediately to one of loss. This identity transformation underscores the first stages of Naomi's emptying. That's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the beginning, this first loss. For 10 years, Melon and Kilion, her sons, both lived, married, but they were childless. And one of our modern eyes might not catch the fact that Naomi's sons are childless. It does not say that they are childless, but it does not include the presence of children. They did not have children. Right? And a post-exilic reader, however, they're going to find that notable. The absence of children, there is implied loss there. There is implied emptiness there. It would be automatically assumed that the exclusion of children is a negative occurrence. Childlessness here is not resonant with like modern family planning. Rather, it shows continual failure to provide a lineage. The family experienced a decade of barrenness. It did not grow as one assumed that it would, but it instead remains stagnant. And a post-exilic reader sees the devastatingly empty wombs of Ruth and Orpah. There is emptiness and the lack of lineage. And it's not long after the family experiences another last wave of loss. The narrator reveals that Malon and Kilion, they also die, leaving Naomi without her husband and without her sons. This strips Naomi of her title now as mother. 
When speaking to her daughter-in-laws, Naomi identifies herself as such. She says, I'm an elderly woman. I am incapable of being chosen for marriage any longer, and I am a permanent widow. She then goes further, and she speaks of herself as barren. Like, that language is, in essence, empty. She's barren, living with an empty tomb that cannot provide any future sons. We see at the beginning, Naomi, Naomi has been emptied of her family, of her lineage, and consequently any prospects for her daughter-in-laws. So she has been emptied physically. She's been emptied familially. And now, lastly, in addition to a physical and familial loss, Naomi is left emotionally and spiritually empty. We see this at the end of the chapter. She has experienced what she refers to as abandonment from Yahweh. The word that Naomi is derived from means to be like pleasant, to be lovely. There's something like nice and sweet about what her name is derived from that is in her name. And yet we see at the very end of the chapter upon entering Bethlehem, Naomi identifies herself as Mara, which means bitterness. She literally says, call me Mara, call me bitterness. Right? She's had a full identity strip. Naomi has been emptied of her name, emptied of all pleasantness, leaving only bitter remains. And lastly, Naomi expresses to the town of her spiritual disposition. She accuses Yahweh of emptying her. She says, I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Naomi is spiritually empty and not just abandoned, but she frames it as being opposed by Yahweh. Naomi has re-entered her son, or sorry, re-entered her home, stripped of physical resources, a family, and also spiritually distraught. That's the beginning thing, the, the beginning setting of the story that we see in Naomi, who's this representative Israelite. Let's move to chapter two. This is the chapter where Ruth goes to the field and starts gleaning and starts trying to help. The opening of Ruth focuses on Naomi and on her experience of loss, on her emptiness. Throughout the second chapter, Naomi, however, is backgrounded, leaving the reader to assume that her grief has shackled her to inactivity. Ruth emerges, however, presenting herself as a source of support rather than an overt obstacle. Through the second chapter, there's a sense that she might be a tool in the narrative's solution. Right? This is an important point here. When we're thinking about the post-exilic reader, we're thinking about a group of people who are trying to figure out how do we have a community where foreigners are present. The issue that's present is like incorporating the foreigner. The foreigner is naturally an obstacle in everyone's mind who's reading this. How do we deal with them? How do we deal with them? And what this story is starting to, to show is that the foreigner here, maybe she is not the obstacle, but rather, maybe she's the precise thing that will provide the solution. The chapter opens with Ruth going to gather food for the two women. Here is the first presentation of Ruth's presence initiating fulfillment for Naomi, this representative Israelite. Ruth is not asked to glean, but she independently initiates this. She says, let me go to the field and glean. She provides a solution to a, to a temporary physical emptiness. Right? And she does it, and it goes successfully for the women. She goes to the field, and Boaz reserves portions of his harvest, creates a space of safety, treats a poor widowed sojourner as a native in his land. Like It goes well. However, we should also again note that Boaz's actions here are, are reactive. 
They're not proactive. When Boaz enters the scene, the reader sees that he was already aware of Naomi's presence in the community. The author in chapter 2, verse 6, implies their awareness that Naomi had returned, right? He says, oh, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Like, he's referencing someone and something that he's already aware of. However, Boaz did not initiate any contact with Naomi or seek to provide any sustenance for her. It was the necessary action of Ruth, the foreigner, in the storyline that initiates Boaz's provision for the women. Without the foreigner, without Ruth, Boaz does not feed the widow. And without the foreigner, without Ruth, Naomi does not experience those first moments of fullness in the narrative, the first moments in which she feels cared for, in which she is physically provided for, that she had not been experiencing before. We start seeing glimmers of how the foreigner's presence in this community is providing glimmers of fullness to the emptiness that was there. Once Ruth returns to Naomi with food in hand, Naomi acknowledges that she too is aware of Boaz. He's in fact a close relative of Elimelech's. Naomi and Boaz are two relatives who are aware of each other's existence, but they just lived kind of in disregard for one another. Naomi didn't approach Boaz for help. Boaz did not approach Naomi to provide. But rather, it was the foreigner and her presence in the space that starts bringing fullness to the story. It's also the foreigner's presence amongst the two of them that initiates their reconnection familially. Only through the choice of Ruth does the family begin to re-establish contact with one another. And not only does this prompt reconnection to, fa- to existing family members, but it also causes Naomi to include Ruth in her own family. At this point in time, Naomi has identified herself without a family, fully and completely empty. And now, upon Ruth returning with this physical provision of, of food, she then says, She talks about Boaz saying, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. It's the first time we see Naomi recognize the presence of some sort of family for her, family in Boaz and family in Ruth. Now, immediately after this, what is so interesting to me is that Ruth's foreignness is still reiterated. They reiterate that Ruth is part of the family, However, then right after, they call her Ruth the Moabite. I think these verses are telling us that there's a real possibility for foreignness and inclusion existing simultaneously. And so maybe the question is not about conversion, but the question is about inclusion here. Maybe the question isn't about changing Ruth from outsider to insider, but simultaneously recognizing her foreignness while also including her in the family. Ruth is family, and Ruth is a Moabite. And the chapter closes by noting that Ruth continued to glean in Boaz's fields until the end of the harvest, the wheat harvest. And the barley and wheat harvest stretched from like April to May, uh, traditionally lasting about seven weeks. And the grain collected would not be enough to sustain the women for an extended amount of time. So the imminent threat of starvation would have been on the minds of every single post-exilic reader. They'd see that the harvest ended, and they say, well, what now? What was happening in chapter 2 does not fully solve this problem for the women. While Boaz helped feed the women temporarily, he does not permanently reverse the reality of Ruth and Naomi's situation, and a longer-term solution was necessary. We leave this chapter with the notion of, like, what now? As the women's livelihood concludes for the season, 
And the next chapter presents Ruth yet again as the link to provide fullness for Naomi in our story's conclusion. And in chapter three, we see that over the course of the harvest, um, nothing further really developed between Ruth and Boaz. She went, she gleaned, that was it. Boaz neither pursued the purchase of Naomi's land, which she had, this was Elimelech and his uh, family's land, um, he did not pursue the purchase of it, nor did he pursue the marriage of Ruth. And it is at this time in the narrative that readers see Naomi really emerge from her season of passivity found in the previous chapter. The third act opens with Naomi advocating for a permanent solution to the emptiness that they were, that they were experiencing. She reveals that this will be achieved through Ruth, through the foreigner through the foreigner's permanent inclusion into the family. The reader is left with a confusing and veiled plan from Naomi. Um, Like I said, she's going to go to the threshing floor. She's going to lay down. She's going to lay on his feet. He's going to wake up, um, and then she's going to ask for him to redeem her. And the more you read it, there's... um, a lot of places that you can cross-reference in, in scripture that maybe it's meaning this or maybe it's referencing this kind of a thing. Um, and they're very interesting. The important thing here, though, is that just Ruth, was, Ruth had to be there. Ruth was important. Ruth was the key. The foreigner was the key to permanent f- fullness for the Israelite. Foreigners, in this moment, again, it is starting to reveal that foreigners are not an issue to be addressed but their inclusion is the overt solution to the story's emptiness. Ruth is instructed to wash and anoint herself before encountering Boaz. Ruth travels to the threshing floors, exactly what Naomi's asked, and follows Naomi's instruction. Boaz agrees to redeem Ruth and consequently bring fullness back to Naomi. Boaz agrees to this plan. The permanent and the familial inclusion of the foreigner into the community is what has now brought fullness back to the Israelite. We close in chapter four. It's this final act. Um, And like I said at the beginning, it truly depicts when you read chapter four, it is such a happily ever after. Everything is solved. We see all of these points, this threefold loss that Naomi experienced at the beginning where she didn't have physical resources. She had no family. And her spiritual, and um, like spiritually and emotionally, emotionally, she was emptied. All of those things are now seen as satisfied and solved. The final act concludes with the description of a holy, peaceable community. All problems that are evident in the opening of the book are solved. Boaz marries Ruth and buys Elimelech's land. And in doing so, Boaz is not simply committing to care for Ruth through the marriage. He too is committing to care and provide for Naomi. There's this picture of him um, opening his wings and inviting them underneath his wings, or him opening his wings and like laying a, a blanket of refuge over them. Like that is what this, um, this ceremony is, uh, is providing for these women. That's what it's signifying. Naomi's land is redeemed. She's reintegrated into the community. And she, uh, and she entered the town physically, spiritually, and familially empty. And she's now received physical resources through the purchasing of land and reinstatement into a family with a prominent patriarch. Boaz is a, is a landowner, right? He has fields. That's where Ruth went to glean. The women of the town, at the very end in chapter 4, they proclaim that Ruth has, been, has proved to be worth more than seven sons 
to Naomi. I thought this was so interesting. We see this deep loss that Naomi has at the beginning of two sons. And at the end, it's intentionally said that Ruth is worth more than seven sons to Naomi. There's like some net positive that Ruth has brought into Naomi's life in terms of family, in terms of losing her sons, in terms of being a mother. Additionally, Naomi is depicted as a motherly figure to Obed, uh, her, her grandson. I mentioned Boaz and Ruth have a son. And uh, the son is, is depicted as um, the son of Naomi, not of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz have a son, and Naomi is depicted as a motherly figure to Obed, her grandson. The author describes Naomi placing the child on her lap and nursing him. And the women of the town claim that a son has been born to Naomi, Naomi is, once again, a mother. She's no longer childless. Her lineage persists, as it did not at the, at the very beginning of the story. And lastly, the book concludes with this genealogy, where Naomi is not only one who experienced fullness through the inclusion of Ruth. She certainly did, but the entire history of, of Israel as a nation also experiences fullness because of the inclusion of Ruth in the story. Um, Obed is the ancestor of David. King David will descend from Obed, the son of, of Ruth and of Boaz and of Naomi. Right? David is like this Israelite figure of Israelite figures for people reading this. He is like a king of kings for the Israelite nation. And so when we see that David is a descendant of this offspring of Naomi, this offspring of um, the product of a foreigner's inclusion into a community, you see fullness for the, for the entire like, future country. Fullness is pervasive from the individual, from Naomi, to the entire covenantal people of God in the conclusion of this narrative. And now, it just again, what, what continues to be so interesting here is that in Boaz's declaration of marriage, we're at the end of the story, like everything's happily ever after. Everything seems to be concluded and all problems have been solved. Ruth is again referred to as the Moabite. Again. She has clearly been included into the family. She is included into the Israelite story. She's included and integrated fully into the community. And yet, Ruth's identity is still underscored as a foreigner. Right? The process of acquisition of land and also redemption of people, it did not transform Ruth from foreigner to Israelite. Instead, the reader sees, again, there's a maintaining, like a maintenance of foreignness amidst permanent inclusion. I think the story, we can talk about the idea of conversion here. I think what it also really does is it's underscoring that there is a place for foreignness and for outsiders and for people who are not a part of the community with permanent inclusion. Like you don't have to get rid of one for the other. Ruth did not need to become an Israelite to be included in the community. Ruth, in her foreignness, it was um, mentioned multiple times, in her foreignness, Ruth still was included and part of the family. They exist simultaneously. Conversion did not necessitate her inclusion. Ruth will always be a foreigner. That's what I feel like the end of the story is telling us. But she will also permanently be included in the community. And her permanent inclusion provides the fullness that's depicted in the remainder of the story. The story started empty. There's emptiness. 
They had no resources. Their family had died. Naomi was far from God, angry, angry at God. And yet the story concludes with a family that has lineages that persist long enough to produce King David. The story ends with Naomi having a, a, a grandson. She is now a mother. Again, it refers to her as a mother. And now uh, the story concludes with Ruth and Naomi experiencing real physical provision. And, and the story ends with fullness amongst um, the whole covenantal people with the eventual birth of, um, of King David. I think that um, when I see this, when I think about Naomi, and I think about her journey, and I think about the people who are maybe reading this, as people who are trying to figure out how do we establish a community when there's foreigners amongst us, I see the potential for um, a teaching that says that those people who came with you, rather than being obstacles, maybe those people that came with you the successful inclusion of them into a community is what will provide fullness for us as a people. The successful inclusion of who came with you after the exile will provide fullness for us as a community. Maybe that is a way that we can establish our new world in the Second Temple period. Um, I encourage y'all to go and read the book of Ruth. I know this is like a lot, and I think some of it takes a lot of awareness already of the book. Um, it's short, it's quick, it's sweet, and it's just continual conversation and discussion about inclusion and about foreignness and about relationship with the law and Yahweh throughout all of it. And I think continually, as we approach this text, there's more and different things that we can see as there are with all narrative pieces. The Bible's no different um, in that when they give us a beautiful piece of literature, we get to read it and we get to see God and God's presence um, manifested in um, a variety of ways and in a variety of characters. When we're thinking about our world uh, and when we're thinking about insiders and outsiders, I do think that uh, it might be a little bit less difficult for us to incorporate outsiders into our world than the Jews had in their time. That's my knee-jerk reaction. And yet, we still live in a time where clear exclusion is like very present, you know? And I think that acknowledging that tension and seeing that that tension has existed since scripture's written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago can only help us, um, I don't know, address it successfully, address it successfully as a, a church and as a community. Um, of people. I recommend y'all reading the book and just going through it and praying through it and seeing what spaces in our own lives can fullness be found in the inclusion of, uh, of people who are not part of our spaces. How can our spaces become more full by including people, explicitly including people who are not already a part of them? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.